Hello, my name is Anne-Marie Cannon, and I'm the host of Armchair Historians. What's your favorite history? Each episode begins with this one question. Our guests come from all walks of life. YouTube celebrities, comedians, historians, even neighbors from the small mountain community that I live in. They're people who love history and get really excited about a particular time, place, or person from our distant or not-so-distant past. The jumping-off point is the place where they became curious, then entered the rabbit hole into discovery. Fueled by an unrelenting need to know more, we look at history through the filter of other people's eyes. Armchair Historians is a Belgian Rabbit production. Stay up to date with us through Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Wherever you listen to your podcast, that is where you'll find us. Armchair Historians is an independent, commercial-free podcast. If you'd like to support the show and keep it ad-free, you can buy us a cup of coffee through Ko-fi, or you can become a patron through Patreon. Links to both in the episode notes. Hello, fellow armchair historians. Anne-Marie here. I'd like to start off by thanking all our Ko-fi and Patreon supporters. Your support means the world to us. I'd also like to remind you of some other ways that you can support the show. You can follow us on social media. We're on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Also, you can leave a five-star review on your podcast platform of choice. Every little bit helps. In this episode of our October History and Haunting series, I talk to Denver Ghost Hunters, or DGH, team members Stephanie and Elise about their favorite histories and how their ghost hunting endeavors connect to them. With the 19th century United States Western expansion, many a restless soul came to the then Kansas Territory, today Colorado, with only their dream and a prayer in hopes of finding a better life. Many of DGH's local haunts are steeped in the spiritual residue of people who came to the mountains to create a new life, some with success and some without. Ghost hunter and psychic Stephanie shares the evolution of her supernatural skills and how she and her team utilize the tools at their disposal, including her psychic abilities, ghost hunting equipment, and the intuition of the team to match up a haunted site's history with paranormal evidence whenever possible. Elise and Stephanie, welcome to Armchair Historians. Thank you for having us. Thank you. We're excited to be here. I'm so excited that you're here on the show because it is History and Haunting October. So the whole month I do some kind of history, but with the tie-in of the paranormal or, you know, something like that. So what is your favorite history that we're going to be talking about? Well, we actually run a group called Denver Ghost Hunters. So we actually go around and ghost hunt. We go to a lot of historic places. We go and see if we can get evidence of of the other side, so to speak. And what's really exciting for us is Colorado is just so full of early pioneer, turn-of-the-century historic buildings that have been preserved, and we love to go visit them, sometimes have some history. And then if we get uh, any evidence or anything that kind of fits with that, it, it ends up really flowing together that we can validate maybe something that we catch on camera or over audio recording. Did you have something to add, Elise? Yeah, and Stephanie does great talking. I'm kind of the sidekick. But <laughs> one of the things I wanted to add is out there in Colorado, a lot of people don't think about it because it's newer than the East Coast where all the history is or 
you know, over in Europe, but here we have such a violent, you know, history Mm -hmm. from the wild, wild west, which makes it a little more fun. So which came first, the uh, ghost hunting or the love of history? Ooh, that is really hard. For me, um, they might have come hand in hand because I've always loved history. Even when I was little, I had ghost experiences even when I was little. So I think they kind of fit together for me. How about you? For me, I I had no interest in history. <laughs> and when I started getting into ghost hunting, I just, I love history now. I love doing the research. I love seeing things, hearing about things and then researching more, learning what really happened there way back when. So, yeah. Well, it's really nice when the uh, history and haunting line up. And I hope you don't mind, but I want to take a minute to talk about how I met both of you. And so I talked a lot in the past two weeks about my, well, I'm a history tour operator in Georgetown, Colorado. Uh, My last guest, it was a two-part episode, and I talked to Andrea Janes and Liana Renee Heber. They both, amongst other things, do ghost tours in New York City. Could you imagine that? And so my audience now knows that I am a ghost tour operator. So the cat's out of the bag. But (laughs) the way that I met you guys is you signed up for one of my ghost tours a couple years ago. And when there were three of you, because you have another person that's on your team, I think. We do, Don. He wasn't able to make it tonight. But um, yeah, we do. We We have a third musketeer. So you guys had signed up for my tour. And I'm you know, finding this out as we're walking through Georgetown, we get to the Hamill house and you walk in and say, Stephanie, oh, hello. And (laughs) I was like, I knew you weren't talking to anybody in the group or me. And so I said, oh, do tell. And then you started to uh, tell, like, read the room. Apparently there were two spirits in the room. One of them you described as being a young man with a very distinctive part. He thinks he's all that. He's kind of a dandy. He's well-dressed. And immediately I focused in on somebody because I had done so much research on the Hamill House and the family and the people associated with the tour. And then you said, and then there's a servant girl, and she's very flirtatious and I knew from the census that there were servants that lived in the house in the 1800s. They served the Hamill family. But then I had you look through a book of pictures that I had and Mm -hmm. to see if anyone popped out to you and you picked out the person that I was honing in on totally was William Arthur Hamill Jr., who was a dandy. He thought he was all that. He fancied himself a businessman but he never really could roll up his sleeves and do the work that his father did to come into the wealth. So I was really impressed with the way that you read that and that the history lined up and you were able to identify the picture. Cause there were, I was just looking through the pictures the other day and there were all the guys had a distinctive part, but you know, it was only that one that you described. So I was really impressed. And I had you come back and do a event that I did that was a paranormal investigation. So that's how you come into the picture. And I've been wanting to get you on the show. So here we are. 
Yeah, no, I remember. And that house was beautiful. And yeah, had a lot of fun energy, fun activity in there. So it's a it's a great it's a great place. Not not scary at all. It just is this um historic, beautiful building. Yeah, I never really had any kind of feelings of a malicious haunting in no. that in that house or anything. Uh, if you believe in that kind of thing. So so you guys all have different roles on the team, right? Mm-hmm. So maybe you can talk uh, each a little bit about that. I, I would say all three of us will scout locations and talk with different clients and things like that. Elise and, and Dawn actually do a lot of EVP work. I do a lot of, I think Dawn also does some camera stuff. I do some like camera work because I have a, a bit of a background in that area. And then I'll do readings if if that's needed or if I can. So when you say readings, what do you mean by that? So I am kind of the psychic in the group. So I will go in and read the energy kind of, you know, sometimes the ghosts will talk to me, sometimes they don't. So it really depends on the site, but and kind of... She'll pick up on the dandies. I'll pick up on the dandies. <laughs> on the dandies, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, that's good. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So I'll do I'll do some of that. I also do a lot of um, like dowsing work. And because you would be surprised that, you know, those dowsing rods will follow energy. We'll do different kind of reactions to, you know, the energy or the ghost that might be in that location. But we have a lot of different tools. We play with a lot of different things depending on the location. I, I really like the EVP and working with recorders and sound. Don is really good with that too, mm-hmm. but we'll break out. We've got, you know, we try the latest and greatest toys. We've got something I call the Radio Shack hack, oh, yeah. which is a Frank's box, basically for those old school people that may know about that, where it pulls noise from radio stations, basically randomly, and you can make sentences. I see that a lot on the internet and stuff. We have some light tricks, EMF detectors. For electromagnetic field. Temperature gauges. Yeah. We'll trade lots of different things depending on, you know, what we get at a site. Sometimes you have people reporting cold spots or warm spots and we'll see if we can detect those. A lot of different lighting too, because the theory is, you know, we have our visual spectrum and just outside of one side is the ultraviolet, the other side is infrared. So we use both of those lights to see just outside our, our scientific visual spectrum. I don't know what's going on, but your voices sounded muffled for a minute and then they unmuffled. And I'm going to say that I'll just leave it in there because like I said, last interview I did, it was a two-part episode. There were some weird things that happened, but I'm just going to leave it in there. I don't know why that's happening. It might not show in the final recording, but, um, and you're not moving around or anything. So it's weird. Okay. Yeah. Could be me not being close enough. No, yeah. because Stephanie's voice was doing the same thing. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. So now you sound clear. All right. So I want to come back to, I want to talk more about the EVP and that type of thing, but I want to come back to uh, Stephanie and kind of her evolution as a psychic. Maybe you can tell us a little bit about that. Like, how did this all start with you? Yeah. According to my parents, I used to tell stories about my pretend friends and I would tell them how they died. <laughs> um, and so how old are you when this is happening? Wow. So probably when I first started talking, I was probably like maybe three, four 
I, I think the one that they all remember that I talked about the most was my friend Myrtle, who was crushed to death, which is kind of a weird thing for a kid to talk about in some sort of accident. I had that. And then I would sometimes see things in the house. What kind of things? I remember actually seeing my great grandfather and I asked my mom who the old man, but I described him and she's like, wow, that sounds a lot like my great grandfather at the time. So I had him sitting at the end of my bed one night. I just remember just being kind of afraid of having like recurring nightmares of just this white entity that I was afraid of. And then I would see people and see things different places. And then it seemed like it kind of went away for a little while. And then as soon as I hit my teenage years, it exploded again. (laughs) And I would see and hear things and I didn't know if I was crazy. I had a hard time with boundaries with spirits. So sometimes I would have some physical manifestations that would happen. Sometimes I would get like scratches and things like that. And they would just then kind of disappear. It was just this weird type of of thing. Then I went off to college and I thought, not every place you go to, Stephanie, is haunted. So I kept telling myself that I was not crazy. And I would see I would see apparitions on campus. And, and that's when I started getting into ghost hunting. I would kind of hang out with different people and, and read different sites. And then one day after college, I was in the Tattered Cover bookstore. And I used to kind of just let the universe give me signs. (laughs) I randomly picked up a book on ghost photography, and it was written by two local people here. And they had classes. So I took a class in ghost photography. And then eventually, um, I was doing readings for them. And I ended up joining another ghost hunting group. This was long before the TV shows, a long time ago. And I ended up meeting Elise. Elise and I did our first like away ghost hunt together. And then we became best friends after that, which was really fun. But I found that ghost hunting really sort of had me exercise this psychic (laughs) ability to where I could control. I could have a lot more boundaries. I mean, I still sometimes after a really good ghost hunt where we've had a lot of fun, good good stuff. Sometimes I'm, I'm pretty drained, um, energy wise, but it's, it's kind of like a really good workout, I think for that sort of muscle in your, your brain. So when you say that you see an entity, what is that experience like for you? Can you describe Um, that? Yeah, it really, it varies. So sometimes I physically see them in the room and then other, like they look like a person Then I'll notice, oh, hey, they're missing an arm or they're not quite fully formed. It takes me a little bit before I realize when I see them like that. And I would say probably 90% of the time, I just get this image, like it's a picture in my brain of what it looks like. So it's like these... You also feel a lot of things. That's true. I do. (laughs) Yeah. And I'll feel, I'll feel stuff. I'll have a jaw hurts. My jaw will hurt. And I'll be like, was he in a fight? Like, I'll be like, why does this suddenly hurt? And then it magically sort of goes away. So do you always know when you're having these sensations, seeing these things that they're related to a haunting? They're usually located to like wherever we're going. So, but I mean, I have had ghosts follow other people that, you know, might be part of our ghost hunt. And 
they'll be attached to the people. So I'll, I'll try and have to figure out, you know, where I think they're, they're from. The first time when Stephanie and I met, we were down in Manitou Springs and the same thing happened to that, that happened at the Hamill house. I don't know if you remember this, but we were doing a mansion and she just walked in and she's like, this isn't right. There's someone here trying to put dishes away in a cupboard, but it's on a stairway. And the woman who owned the house almost died gasping, saying that she had just remodeled. And there was built-in, there's no way I could have seen that. from. And I'm really into architecture and stuff. You couldn't tell at all that that used to be a buffet. Yeah. yeah. And you, she was picking up on all sorts of things, just like the story at the Hamill house. It's pretty fascinating. Yeah. One more thing I place marked in my head was when you said that you have boundaries or don't have boundaries. Can you explain that a little bit more? Yeah. It's kind of like people. <laughs> oh, they are people, right? They're, they're ghosts. <laughs> but yeah, they're kind of like people where, you know, sometimes you have like, they're so wanting to communicate with you that they really can be really pushy. So one of the things I typically don't like to do readings at my house. I don't want to, I don't want to have a bunch of ghosts coming and visiting me. They do sometimes, and then I usually have to call Elise and say, we have to go ghost hunting because they're they're coming to my house to talk to me. <laughs> um, so it's one of those things of, of having sort of a mental barrier of, you know, where I do readings, where I don't do readings, and then being able to have a little bit of control over, like, if I'm physically reacting to them. That's not something I want to happen at, like, work or anything, right? It's just one of those things of, of me feeling in control, and that, that, that I had to learn over the years because it used to be just all the time. Do any of your kids display this kind of behavior? <laughs> this is really funny that you asked this question. So Elise and I were with my two-year-old daughter. Where, what, where were we at? It's a store, Ritual Craft. Ritual Craft. Yeah. And Metaphysical. Uh, metaphysical store. So we went in there for some fun. And Sophie, she prances in there and she's she's doing pretty good. And then we get towards the back of the store and I didn't realize that they were doing readings back there, psychic readings, tarot readings, different types of readings. And when that happens, typically there is a, a lot, there's kind of this energy bubble that's bigger than the room. And as we're walking through it, it hits me that we've walked into this reading and Sophie stopped in her tracks, mm-hmm. kind of like stood up really straight, looked at, I think me, and I could just tell by her face that she like ran into a wall. Like she felt that energy when we walked into it. And then she sort of proceeded to keep getting really emotional there, which is not typical of her. So we let her pick out a crystal and she's been hanging on to her crystal since, since we got it. She talks, she's a lot of, you know, baby babble, but she talks a little bit, but I could just tell she, she definitely had felt something, had experienced something there. So I'm going to have to kind of watch and, and see how that grows. And the look on her face was so innocent. Like she literally hit a wall or, and was just surprised. Yeah. Wow. It's interesting. Oh, well, and I was going to say my son, he has, he has this like animal magnitude that he can calm different creatures. (laughs) I think his man will manifest in a very different way is what I'm anticipating just because of how he interacts with the world that I know he's, he's very empathic. So it'll be interesting to see. And he's older. 
Yeah, he's five. So Elise, do you have any of these experiences? Not like Stephanie, no. You know, I can feel a buzz, basically. I think somebody's called themselves paranormal cardboard once, and I kind of always have that in my head because I do understand what that means. No, not like Stephanie, no. The more you go ghost hunting, the more you learn to feel the energy. I can't ever assign a good or bad feeling to it or what it is, but I can feel it. You've seen an apparition before. Yeah. 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 So she's seen things. I mean, but, you know, anybody can, really. Yeah. It's As Stephanie likes to say, it's a muscle that you have to work and... You know, different people are touching different parts of the elephant. So tell me about when you, like, I think the woman washing the dishes on the stairs is fascinating. So that's a history that lines up with the the reading, whatever you want to call it. Um, so maybe could you tell me a couple times when things have lined up either through your EVP or uh, Stephanie and how you've done the research and found out Oh, well, that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, a lot of it, like we're working with homeowners who validate something for us. That happens a lot of times. Some of it's random and interesting and we have to go dig into it further and you're not sure you're making it fit versus it really fits. We were talking about some of the places we've been to, like maybe Congress Park would be one. Mm -hmm. You know, I think everybody knows the story of Cheeseman Park where the bodies were being removed Mm -hmm. and everything that happened there. Well, Congress Park is just on the other side of the botanical gardens, and that was also there. And this is one where we went ghost hunting there because we knew that the graves were there also. And we got a voice on EVP that said, can you bring me some water? And then we were looking into it, and later on we did some research and discovered that that was actually part of the cemetery also. And that there are bodies probably left there. They don't really say a lot about it, but yeah, there was a there was a pest house or some sort of typhus house that was was near the cemetery, which we we think was probably around somewhere between Congress Park and Botanic Gardens, which ends up being the water treatment area. And one of the interesting things about water is that it really does keep and carry that energy. It flows into it, and it, it does feed into some of that. Mm-hmm that spiritual energy. It was kind of interesting to have somebody pleading for water, knowing that in that area, they had people dying of typhus and TB in that area. So that was kind of one of those connections we were able to make. So people hire you to explain what you do to me a little bit more, because I don't really understand it. So we, we do a couple of different things. So we love to go investigate places. We do this for free. It is nothing that we charge for. We go in, we see if we can get evidence. We share that evidence. We try and correlate it with history. If we can, sometimes there's no history to correlate. And then the other part that we do is we also do events. So for the last few years, we've done um, tours at the Denver Firefighters Museum. We've done tours at um, the University of Wyoming Last year, we did the Forney Museum. And so we'll do these sort of um, events where we take people ghost hunting, they get to go have that kind of um, experience that we, we often do. And um, sometimes it's for charity work that we do do that with. And so we we kind of have um, kind of a mixed bag of different things that we offer um, for that. 
Can you talk more about how you found each other and why it works, why you work together and how you work together? Well, we have an ongoing joke from the X-Files that um, she is Scully and I am Mulder. So I'm the believer. She is my, she's like, well, I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. 99.9 things can be explained. Yeah. Yeah. So we, um, we convince each other. (laughs) And then I'm like, you have to see this. This is real. We also really just have fun, which is great. We met going on, we got kind of assigned to be roommates on a, on an overnight trip with, uh, with an other ghost hunting team. (laughs) So we got kind of assigned to each other. And on that road trip, we got to know each other really well. And then we realized that we work really well together just because we're, we're very different. And Elise has this amazing memory to remember different sites. I, for some reason, sometimes struggle to remember different readings. Maybe it's because I do so many readings. Sometimes I struggle with that. (laughs) She's always my reminder. Yeah. I think we offset each other really well. And I think what I enjoy about Stephanie is she comes from a different perspective and she proves things that I get on tape and stuff that I would think I was just crazy getting a weird voice that I'm just hearing things, but she'll have other things that correlate. And I do the same for her. You know, she's feeling things, seeing things, thinking something, and I'll get an EVP or, you know, put something together that yeah brings it together and explains it. Why this history? Why this? Why this? For a lot of the history here in Colorado, especially Colorado history, it's right here in our backyard. So it's something we see every day. We live next to it every day. Thinking about the fact that these are, you know, real people that were were here doing these things. I'm just trying to imagine coming here as a woman in the 1800s to start a life and having kids and being up in the mountains and trying to keep everybody warm and fed. And this is just, this is amazing. These are amazing people in the buildings, the architecture. It's just, it's beautiful. A lot of times just having a good understanding of this fabric, right. That comes through and of the different layers of history. I just really enjoy it. So for me, that that's a huge thing. Um, Elise, what is your attraction to? Yeah, I think for me, I never gave it much thought when I was younger. And as you learn more, you start to get more curious. And, you know, I I love architecture, also old homes. I lived in the city of Denver all over for a while, grew up in Boulder. And then you start learning about all these things that happened that, you know, man did demand back in the historical. And it's like, wow, why did this happen? You start researching more, you know, you, you learn about things that happened here and over there. And even where I live, I know there's a history, you know, I'll see that an old road used to go through here. And I start wondering who lived here, you know, on this land before these hoses were built. There's this one house. How big was their farmyard? What happened? It's just really, it really gets you wondering and curious and learning more things. Yeah, I remember going to a, on a field trip. I think it was like second or third grade. And we got to go to downtown Denver. And I remember seeing the Daniel Fisher building, which is, you know, that it's, it's very different. And then we got to learn that there were tunnels under the city. They used to move things around. And, and that was fascinating to me as a kid. I was like, how cool is that? There's, there's like tunnels and between different buildings and people are moving around. And this sort of secret subterranean world was there too. I mean, it was just cool. I'm wondering if you've had any indigenous 
haunting experiences. Yeah. You want to talk about it? Which one? The, I always remember when you said there was a, when you were driving from my house once, which isn't a big deal. Yeah. But you saw it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I've definitely, I mean, I've seen different Native Americans, indigenous people, uh, or spirits, I should say. They have a very different feeling to them. They have a different energy pattern or something. I don't know what it is, but we've seen that. We've also investigated the Sand Creek Massacre, which was a pretty intense investigation. And this is another history thing because there is, they have the park, but there's a ranch owner next to the park who has done all the research and claims that a lot of it happened on their land, not the actual park. So there's a lot of historical, interesting facts or non-facts there, which made it. Made it very interesting. And so we were actually on the ranch and they, they have a lot of archaeological evidence they were able to, mm-hmm. to show us. And so one of the weird things from that was that, that they don't ever talk about was I didn't realize that they use cannon. They use cannon on these these people. And that was something I got. I, was that from a reading or an EVP? I'm trying to remember. But that was that was something that they then confirmed that, yeah, they had cannon pieces that they had recovered at the site. So, but again, that's not something we ever read in a book or, or anything, but it was weird. And the landowners have done, they did so much history and research because they were trying to prove that it happened there, not next to their land. It was very interesting. Were you able to confirm that? I I don't know. (laughs) That's a tricky question. Yeah, I mean, we we definitely got some interesting EVP, but it was also, you know, to be the scully. It was outdoors, so that's always hard, especially when you're somewhere else and you don't know what the birds at night sound like or, you know, animals. You kind of learn all of those things when you're doing this stuff, but in a new place. And and it is really out in the middle of nowhere, like completely out in the middle of nowhere. And I didn't realize, I didn't realize that at all either when I'm looking at it from the the history, I was like, oh, they, they went out and they massacred these people. I didn't realize how far they had to go to reach them either. Like that was surprising to me um, to kind of experience that history of being that far away from civilization and it's out in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. So whether we proved it or not, it, I mean, in my my head, we kind of did. We we found some things, but we couldn't, I don't feel comfortable putting it out there saying, no. oh, 100%, this is it. Yeah. Well, it makes sense that there would have been some overlapping on the properties. Right. Yeah. So, so Stephanie, when you say, when you've had experiences with indigenous spirits, it's different. The energy's different. You said, what does, what can you maybe describe that a little bit more? This goes for lots of different types of readings. Sometimes stuff is just like residual. It's kind of like a, a picture in time and history. It doesn't, it, it's just kind of playing over and over again. And I'll see that too with, with some indigenous area, like di- different indigenous situations. We have that with all sorts of things where it's just the sort of imprint there. I, I can read it like I'm looking at a picture in a book. It's it's not going to really talk back to me. It's not going to give me any information beyond what I can sort of see or hear from that loop that's playing. And then 
the ones that I've kind of really interacted with, I would just say like the vibration feels a little bit different. Like the one that was here when we, when we talked about it, it was, he was a lot lower vibration, smoother versus if I was looking at somebody who is like from central city pioneer place, they might be buzzier, right? They might have a different kind of vibration. And I, I haven't had one like actually speak to me. So I don't really, but typically they'll, they'll point to something, they'll show me something or, um, you know, they still can communicate if that makes sense. Yeah, that's inter interesting. Cause, and the reason I asked that question is because over the years, probably since you've been here, I've tried to incorporate the fact that the Ute people were here for thousands and thousands of years. I don't know how many thousands, but um, and that that history goes back way further than, you know, the European expansion into the West history. And I'm trying to understand that more. I'm going to do some research this winter to try and maybe get a better grasp on the story and the history. I know there is one woman who's uh, experienced, I don't know what you want to call it, but she's actually the mayor of our town. And she had some weird experiences when she was doing some work on her deck, which goes over the creek. Again, you're talking about the water, the energy. I always say that part of the reason we have so many of these stories were so haunted is because of the fact that we're at the confluence of two flowing bodies of water. Uh, so she's doing work and she's had a couple experiences, the guy across the street and she had the same dream about uh, houses falling down in the neighborhood when she's doing this work. And anyway, she had a reading and the person who did the reading said that there was an indigenous person that was buried on her property. So that's the only story that I have. Um, but I'm really interested in that history, like I said, because, you know, we don't talk about it a lot. We don't know a lot about it, but it's a nebulous history. You know, and that's so Hollywood where they're like, oh, it's on an Indian burial ground and it's it's haunted because of that. And it, I, I don't think that that's the case in most of the times. But these, these people were here, right? Whether they were peacefully living, whether they had violent interactions with each other, they were here. And that is imprinted um, in the land and the areas as well. We're going to stop here for today. I'm going to try to get the second part of this interview out by the end of the week, so be sure to check back with us. For more information about Denver Ghost Hunters, Elise and Stephanie, be sure to check out our episode notes. And I hope you have a spooky week. <laughs>